0: Sarvabhoma, he gave me a topic to speak on today, a topic I never would have chosen on my own. <laughs> and, and at first I thought, I'm going to ask if I can change it. But then I realized Krishna, Lord Krishna is giving me this topic for my own self-purification and a topic that I really need to concentrate on. So the name of the presentation today is B a B, a Not a Fly. So this is very, very important instruction, especially for devotees, because Krishna's devotees are very dear to him. And um, so first of all, I'm going to tell um, a little bit, Sarabhama told me, what to say more or less. Now he gave me an outline. He gave me examples that I could incorporate into today's presentation. So the first one I'd like to mention is about Daksha. Now Daksha, Daksha means expert. So Daksha's expert in propagation, um, or, I mean procreation. <laughs> he had many, many children, many sons, and he had sixteen very beautiful daughters, and his youngest daughter happened to be married to Lord Shiva. Like his sons, you know, Narada Muni, he preached to his sons, and they became great devotees and brahmacharis. And Daksha was not very happy about that, and he cursed Narada Muni, you know, cursed him that he would never, never have happy family life, and that he would have to travel, and never stay in one place, and he wasn't very pleased with him. So his youngest daughter, she really wanted to marry Lord Shiva. She was so much attracted to the transcendental qualities of Lord Shiva, and so her father agreed to that. Now, Daksha, he um, he was very powerful. He was a king, and he used to have sacrifices so sacrifices you know the great sages this is way back um um, like such a yuga and um long long ago and so like millions of years and so he was having a great sacrifice and all these sages came and even demigods came and lord shiva came lord shiva is his son-in-law remember so now lord shiva um he he is there in the assembly in and and they're all just awaiting all these sages and everyone and and citizens as well and all the wives of the um well the king's wife wife prasuti and also um other relatives and wives of prominent members and so they're waiting and Daksha walks walks in now Daksha he's like effulgent he has tejas he has spiritual power so when he walks in he commands respect and everybody just stands up to receive him except two personalities did not stand up and those were first of all lord brahma because you see lord brahma he's that's his father so the father doesn't have to stand up to show respect to the son and then also lord shiva did not stand up to welcome him and honor it's a it's a way of honor we'll hear later more about etiquette so shiva didn't stand up then that offended Daksha so terribly. And he, um, so he was considered the president of the assembly. And after um, he offered respects to Lord Brahma, and then he was offered a seat Brahma said, okay, you can have a seat now, but first you can just imagine like, like how like if this ever happened when we're in an assembly of devotees we would like really think this is totally out of place and out of hand but daksha just turned and he saw lord shiva still sitting there and he became so angry his eyes were glowing and he just um said to everyone you know look." at him, you know, how arrogant he is. And he's saying, all you honorable Brahmins and the fire guards, hear me. I speak about the manners of gentle persons. So he's trying to like, uh, like save himself, like saying I'm gentle and uh, I'm not envious and I'm not speaking out of envy or ignorance when actually he was, you know, kind of, like a thief, Um, like if somebody is stealing and um, they're suspected, they go, no, no, I didn't steal, even though no one said they stole. So like that, he's speaking like that in ignorance, but he's trying to cover up his statements. And then he's just started blasting Lord Shiva, saying Lord Shiva has spoiled the name and fame of the governors of the universe. And he has polluted the path of gentle manners because he is shameless. He does not know how to act. So he said he married my daughter. So already just the fact that he's my son-in-law, then automatically he's in a inferior. He's subordinate to me. And my daughter, she's like so qualified and he pretended to be an honest man and i didn't really want to, her to marry him but because she was so much intent on it and he's there his eyes are just like a monkey's and my daughter my daughter her eyes are like a deer cub's eyes and then he didn't stand up and he didn't even offer any words of welcome any sweet words and so he's like he just goes on and on and everybody is there for a sacrifice a very joyous glorification of the Lord and at these sacrifices the demigods have um, if you've been to a fire sacrifice most of you you see how they'll have like a plate and a cushion for each person participating in the sacrifice. So they have for the demigods, they have seats for them around. And, um, and he said, and then he just tells he lives in filthy places like crematoriums and his companions are the ghosts and demons. And sometimes he's even naked and laughing, sometimes crying. He doesn't bathe regularly. And his ornaments, He wears a garland of skulls and bones, so he's there. He's saying he's actually mad, a mad person. But Lord Brahma, he he um, requested that I hand over my chaste daughter to him, and his heart is filled with nasty things. So now the reason Shiva, it's true what what he's saying, but because he's so merciful and kind to the very downtrodden people and the, and the hobgoblins and people that have no other um, opportunity for elevation and are, and, and he shows mercy to them. But he said, um, he's, so then what he did, he, that, because before you utter a curse, just like before you um, perform worship, he did like Achman washed his hands and then he cursed him, you know, so he said, um, so the demigods are eligible to have a share of the oblations of sacrifice, but Lord Shiva, who's the lowest of all the demigods, should not have a share. And, he, and then what happened was uh, the other people, they're like, oh, no, 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 Daksha, this is a little bit, you're getting carried away. Um, you know, they tried to pacify him you know that that this isn't right that you're getting so angry and saying these things when shiva is the most elevated of all the demigods you know he's he's krishna says he's the best vaishnava too so then in spite when all of the other members of the assembly were telling him you know like like don't uh, talk like that so then daksha he was so insulted that he just left. So he never even took his seat. He left and went home. So do you know why Shiva did not stand up to, um, to receive him? Because he was absorbed in meditation on the Lord. He was oblivious to what was going around because remember they were waiting. So he was internally meditating and thinking of the Lord and, 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 offering that kind of worship. That's a kind of worship. And so then Lord Shiva, um, when he like came to, he saw what happened was, um, Nandishvara. he's one of Lord Shiva's principal associates. He became really angry when he heard his master being insulted like that. And he was prepared to curse Daksha and all the Brahmins there because they didn't say anything. You know, they just were silent and allowed this to go on. So he wanted to curse them as well and um, with harsh words. And he said, Anyone who's accepted Daksha as the most important personality and neglected Lord Shiva because of envy is less intelligent and because of visualizing in duality will be bereft of transcendental knowledge. So he's cursed. Here he is cursing the brahmanas because they should know better and they should never have tolerated this. Although they tried to stop Daksha, they should have been much more forceful in counter-arguing what he had said. So then um, you know, this Nandishwar is just telling how he's so he has accepted the body as all in all, and um, and he's forgotten the lotus feet of the Lord. And so this was going on, and he's and he's just then he starts putting down the brahmanas, saying they take to education and austerity just like kind of as a job for remuneration, begging door-to-door for the satisfaction of their body. And so now, Brigu, Brigu Muni, he's the head of the Brahmins in this assembly, and he, when he heard this, he got all riled up and he condemned the followers of Lord Shiva. And he said, one who takes a vow to satisfy Lord Shiva or who follows such principles, will certainly become an atheist and be diverted from transcendental scriptural injunctions. So here we go, all these curses going on. And so when Lord Shiva um, saw this, he's like, whoa, <laughs> he didn't say anything. He just got up and left. He's like, like this is too much because Brighamuni going on and on cursing the followers of Lord Shiva. So Lord Shiva just goes home and um, all this cursing and counter cursing. And um, Lord Shiva was morose and he just left and they all left with him, his disciples. So now um, all the demigods who were performing the sacrifice they took their bath and they they got ready the Abhavita Sanan, it's called and they became purified and then but they also um after they came for the sacrifice and the demigods were performing it but then it was over and they all left they did have this sacrifice and all so now back home um like sometimes it's rather common that there's tension between the father-in-law and the son-in-law. So such was the situation here and they're back home and Lord Shiva in his abode of Mount Kailash. It's uh he, he's like so renounced. He does not even construct a residence, just lives under a huge banyan tree there. And he, um, he just lives, you know, he's not interested in any kind of, um, of, you know, just material opulence in any way. And even he doesn't even buy anything for his dear wife. He's just like totally self-satisfied. So now what happened was um, Sati sees the denizens of heaven are flying in the sky and they're all talking. The women are all beautifully dressed in fine clothing and they have all kinds of earrings and necklaces and bracelets and lockets and they're all going. And she hears they're going back to Daksha's house because Daksha's having another sacrifice. You could say his palace really because he is the king And so, um, what happened was she says, Oh, wow. Look at your father in law is now executing great sacrifices. And so look, all the demigods are going there. Hold on a second. Let Can you go way far? You all do some noise. So, um, she sees them all going and, um, She said, if you desire to her husband, Lord Shiva, we can go too. And he's like, I don't think so. She said, oh, all my sisters are going to be there along with their husbands. And also my, you know, my aunts are going to be there and my mother. And I want to go and I would like to get all dressed up like them with the clothes and the ornaments that my father gave me. So with the dowry, because Sheba doesn't buy her anything, but she did have nice things given to her at her wedding. And she said, and there's going to, all my relatives will be there and they're going to have fla- flapping flags and the performance of the great, of the sacrifice will be by the great sages. So I'm very anxious to go. And so... um. She's like that. She said, You know, you know, I know that you're not attached to all these things, but I want to see my birthplace another time. And she's saying, um, that j- um just see how their flocks of white airplanes have made the entire sky very beautiful. So then she's like thinking, How can I just sit here? How can a woman sit there when she hears that her father is having a great sacrifice, and you may be considering Lord Shiva that you uh, we have not been invited, or I have not been invited. But you don't have to be invited to go to your father's house, right? You can go to your parents' house usually anytime, time, and um, you don't have like if you have a good friend, you don't even have to be invited. You're always welcome to go to their home. And just like Guru Bhakti and her sister, you know, they can go back and forth any They don't even not have to knock on the door or anything. Of course, you're always welcome. So she's saying, or you can go to the home of your spiritual master. So she's like, please show your kindness to me. And um, so now Lord Shiva when he heard all of this, you know, and her begging, he told her, you know, you said that one can go to um, the f- friend's house or your father's house, but provided that a friend does not find fault with the guests, so um, then you can go. And so the thing is that um, you should not go there, even though you are his daughter. Because the man, your father, is disturbed in his mind. And when he looks upon the guest with raised eyebrows and angry eyes, he's saying, it will be very painful for you. Because like, if an enemy speaks harshly about us, that's what you expect from an enemy. But when your own father speaks harshly about you or your husband, well, that is like worse than um being hurt by the arrows of an enemy, and that grief it continues to rend one's heart day and night. so he's there, my dear white complexioned wife. I know that out of Daksha's sixteen daughters, you're his pet daughter and being the youngest, but you won't be honored when you go there just because of your association with me from being my wife rather you will be sorry that you're even connected with me. So now, um, so he was going on and and on like explaining to her how it's not very good. And so, um, he's, so she's like really getting disturbed. Like, um, you know, (laughs) She's like, it said she was walking in and out of the room, like back and forth, you know, because her mind was so agitated. And he told her, you know, you're most respectable. And when you're insulted, it will be equal to death for you. Then he was just silent because he saw that she's she has not really accepted it. She was um, she's between. Decisions. So she was moving in and out of the room like a swing moves back and forth. So she felt so sorry that her husband was n- telling her not to go and she was shaking and she looked at him as if she were going to blast him with her vision. So she was breathing very heavily and she just decided, I'm going. And she just got ready and was going. So, when Lord Shiva's thousands of disciples saw that she was going all by herself, they quickly followed her with his bull Nandi in front and they um, all um, accompanied her and they put her on, they arranged for her to sit on a, the back of a bull and they gave her her pet bird to bring. And also um, they brought for her a lotus flower and a mirror and other things, and they put a canopy all around her. And they had even a singing party with drums, conch shells, bugles, and it was like a very pompous royal parade. So when she reaches there the sacri- where the sacrifice was being performed, Um, everyone was chanting the Vedic hymns. The great sages and the brahmanas, they were all there. There were so many um, different pots made of clay, stone, gold, grass, and skin. And when they reached there, um, the people, they were afraid of Daksha, like all the Brahmins there and all the men, so they wouldn't receive her. And, and her father Daksha just ignored her did not pay any attention and she um when she but then her mother and her sisters they were so happy to see her with tears in their eyes you know they embraced her and they um gave her presents and but she refused she wouldn't accept the presents so um and so she just like here's um here's them talking. Sorry, I don't I don't have screen pictures, but you can see them uh, speaking before uh, Sati and Shiva. So she refused to accept the presence um and and even a seat or anything. She was so angry, and then she saw. That in the uh, you know, the different seats in the arena, there was no seat for Lord Shiva. Because even if he's not physically present, still the demigods are worshiped and offered these oblations. And then she saw there's no oblations for him. And not only that, he was not even invited or anything. And he wouldn't even acknowledge her presence. So the followers of Sheba, they like, they were ready to like kill him actually. And she said, stop, you know, she didn't allow them to do that. And then in front, like we can imagine because of the culture there, the culture of um, like how a young woman would never do this in that assembly of all those sages and brahmanas and demigods she just stood up and well she already was standing and she said she told um she just spoke into everyone that shiva is the most beloved of all living entities he has no rival no one is very dear to him and no one is his enemy so he's very equal poised and not affected by you know honor and dishonor and and praise, and and cursing, and all of that, so she's there, telling her father, only you, because you're so um, envious, uh, you spoke like that, and all you could do is find fault, so this is the, um, you could say, this is the highlight of the narration, that he was such a fault finder, she said, like, Shiva he doesn't find fault with anyone but if someone has a little good quality he magnifies it greatly so you have found fault with such a great soul as shiva and you're committing the greatest offense by envying him and um and shiva's always pure so she was she was said many wonderful things about lord shiva but you think that why is it like some of these things are true but he's doing it out of his compassion and auspiciousness for others so why do you think that demigods and respectable personalities like lord brahma why do you think they are worshiping shiva like um why like because you know they know They accept the flowers offered to his lotus feet and take those uh, flowers on their head with great respect. So why do you think that is? And so um, she said, if one hears blasphemy of a devotee, one should block their ears and go away if they're unable to punish them. And, And so... You can punish them. You can cut out their tongue so they don't do that again. And she said, you know, like sometimes Shiva calls me, my husband Shiva calls me Dakshayani. It means the daughter of Daksha. And when he says that, the smile leaves my face and I feel sad inside. She said, I condemn Myself, because my body is contaminated by a relationship with you, and um I'm very sorry that this body was produced by you, and so then she she just um while well, she was speaking like that in front of all these people, she sat down, she changed in saffron cloth, a saffron sari. And she sanctified herself with Ochmen and all. And then she just sat and was able because within our abdomen, there's actually a fire which digests our food. And this fire, because the body's made of earth, water, fire, air, and ether. So there is actually fire. We know um, if the fire is weak, then it's very difficult to digest. Like if we say um, we ate a big meal and then we drink a lot or we drink a lot of cold, cold uh, drink or cold nectar, it will, we say it puts out the fire. It subdues the fire. So that digestion is very difficult. But what she did then, she said, I am ashamed to have this body connected to you. So then she sat then. And she raised the life air upward and and placed it in the position of equilibrium, which is near the navel. Then she raised her life air mixed with intelligence to the heart and gradually um, from between her eyebrows. And in order to give up her body, she um, began to meditate on the fiery air within her body. And she meditated on the lotus feet of her husband, Lord Shiva. And thus she became completely um, cleansed of any taints of sin. And she quit her body in a blazing fire. By meditation on the fiery element. And there is a very beautiful <coughs> illustration of this. Like the body is so dear to us. And um to do to give it up like that. Imagine her sisters and her mother and everyone, they weren't very happy to see that. But you can you can see Shiva's following followers behind her. <coughs> And um and how shocking it must have been for everyone to see that. So of course um, we don't have a whole lot of time, and it's quite a lengthy story. So after she puts her body, then um whoa, then all those followers of Shiva they went back because Drigumuni he created a um a demon, and so that to, um, hurt them. And so they all ran back and, you know, they could fly and stuff and they told Lord Shiva what happened. So you can just imagine how angry Lord Shiva was. And it was, um, a terrible, terrible confrontation between Lord Shiva's followers and, um, and the followers of Daksha and so much so Lord Shiva, what he did and he has dreadlocks, you know, so his hair is very thick and he just pulled out um, some of his hair and he threw it on the ground and chanted some mantras and this huge demon came out. Well, uh, Virabhadra and, and he, he grabbed Daksha and actually, I don't know if I can say it, in this gentle assembly here, you know, he cut off his head. But Daksha was feeling so repentant that actually, when in the sacrifice, they cut off the head of a goat, because it gives new life to the animal, not for slaughter, but it tests the efficacy of the mantras. And so they took that head and and put it on duches, so you can imagine how humiliating for this great effulgent king to have the head of a goat. So then he offered his um, forgive, he begged forgiveness from Lord Shiva. So we're seeing the results of fault finding, and how even like everybody has some good qualities, and oftentimes like we um, are finding fault because we feel um, maybe envious of them or they've done something to slight us and so we don't forgive them. And so then we just magnify all of any little thing, all the bad qualities, which we imagine are bad qualities because our good friend may do the same thing and we don't think anything of it. But if it's somebody like we don't like, then we'll just um, do that. It's it's mentioned that we shouldn't really find fault with anyone, and um, you know, and to be respectful of all, but especially devotees, because it can create a kind of real um, block in our devotional spiritual advancement. This Vaishnava operad of fences to devotees. And so it's something to be weary and leery of, um, you know, to, to be careful that just to check our tongue, because the tongue is the most voracious and uncontrollable, but not only the tongue, also the mind. Like um, Boma gave me an example of Sachi Mata, who's the dear uh, mother of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And, um, you know, her first son Vishwarup, he took sannyas because he was so much um a Dwaitacharya was every day he would have like Srimad Bhagavatam class at his house, and and Vish um Vishwarup would come and he would give the wonderful class and lead kirtans. And then he took sannyas. So Sachi, and then she thought he's gonna be a bad influence on my Neemai too. So in her mind, she's thinking this Advaita Acharya, he's a bad influence. And many mothers feel that way. They feel, wow, my son has become a devotee. I mean, especially like Indians, because can you imagine if you're, I don't know if we have any Indians. Oh, of course, Guru Bhakti is. But, you know, to come to America, it's like, wow, there's a lot of competition to get that opportunity. You have to be, you know, really smart and, and, and really good academically to get the opportunity to come and work here. And then their children become devotees and their sons become devotees. It's, and they give up everything and just become a brahmacharya and a preacher. It's like the worst thing the mothers can imagine, except generally, then the mothers become devotees because they're so attached to their sons and the sons are influential over them. All the time I ask Indian brahmacharis, or even married man, is your mother a devotee? Yep. And then the father is coming behind, usually the mother first they become even initiated and everything so anyway um so mother sachi she just had this this thought that you know she wasn't very happy that he was might taking her children away and like that so lord chaitanya he told her that that's you know he he knows cuz he's omniscient and told her that is such an offense there's only one way that you can nullify that offense. And that is to go and fall at the feet of Advaita and beg for the dust from his lotus feet. And so she was prepared to do that. And when she went, um, do you remember who it was? Who was like her spokesperson and said, Advaita Mother Sachi has come to apologize to you and she would like the dust from your lotus feet to mitigate her offenses. Just mental offenses, she never even said anything. And Adwaita Charya said, are you kidding? Mother Sachi is the most glorious mother of Nimai Pandit. I, I would never give her the dust of my feet she's the mother of the universe and she's a Nicha Siddha, an eternal associate of the lord oh that is ridiculous i take the dust from her feet and um i i could never do that and just the thought of it caused a dwaita to faint so when he fainted for a short time mother sachi quickly took advantage of that and she went and was able to take the dust from his feet when he was in a fainted condition. So she got that dust. So even mental, mentally criticizing, plus it just makes us unhappy and grumpy and, um, you know, not experiencing like the goodness in, all, in every, all the devotees. And, you know, like they say, even like in prison, like they that that even like criminals they have something some good quality being part and parcel of the lord so i just wanted to we only have a little time don't we but i wanted to just maybe quickly give a opposite an opposite scenario like the narration of king Preetu. let me see i have this book here um king Preetu. He's actually a Shaktivesh avatar, but the whole entire pastime of Prithu, which is quite lengthy, um, the thing that impresses me the most about it is the level of respect between everyone. First of all, when Maharaj Prithu was coronated, the Brahmanas, they all, you know, they did a sacrifice and then they, um, they glorified him. How he's such a going to be such a great ruler, and how he's a devotee of the Lord, and he's self-controlled, and um, just magnanimous. And he's like, "Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I'm just being coronated now. I have not even become the king yet. So wait until I become the king." Um, you know, wait until I do something. I'm just now starting the inauguration. So just wait and see. So of course he had all those qualities and more. So there's like so much respect. And then later on when he um is like, um, you know, he's so magnanimous, like here King Indra offended him in a big way, which is another story. But here, Lord Vishnu personally came with Lord Indra and asked Maharaj Pritu to forgive Lord Indra. So you can see him like definitely for didn't even take offense really. And so he's like that, very for um forgiving and very kind to everyone. And he um when he went through the um the city gates, like you can, everyone was so happy to receive him. And he like, um, he was anxious. He wanted to give blessings. Oh, he has his hands up in the blessing mudra. He wants to give blessings to everyone, you know, according to what their desires are and what they want. And he wants to um, bless them. So he has so much respect for them. You can see all the ladies on the rooftop all the rooftops and up here and everything. And um, like, it doesn't matter a common citizen or the Brahmins. Everyone, he was very much magnanimous to them. So they're respecting him because they love him. And it's not that, you know, they just love him because he's promising economic development, which is common for modern politicians but he preached to them and he showed by example here he is washing the feet of the four kumaras and having a sacrifice so he takes off all of his royal garb you know all of his robes and his crown (laughs) and his jewels and he's dressed very simple like uh looks like deer skin or yeah uh and no shirt or anything just very, very simple, and he washes their feet and he sprinkles the water on his hair. It said, So he, um, you know, he's like so much, um, like showing respect to others, and then later he preaches to everyone at this sacrifice. Um, he gives like a, a, a talk, you know, and his talk it says, Um that he is um, here. Besides his personal physical beauty is outstanding, but it says Maharaj Preetu's speech was very beautiful, full of metaphorical language, clearly understandable and very pleasing to hear. His words were all grave and certain. It appears that when he spoke, he expressed his personal realization of the absolute truth in order to benefit all who were present. So again, he has respect for all of them and he wants to give them the highest benefit. He wants to give them knowledge of Krishna consciousness and instructions about how those citizens should all respect the Brahmins and worship them. He tells them that. And then you know what the citizens say at the end? Many things, but one thing they say is, Today you have opened our eyes and revealed how to cross to the other side of the ocean of darkness. By our past deeds and by the arrangement of superior authority, we are entangled in a network of fruitive activities and have lost sight of the duration of life. Thus, we have been wandering within the universe. So here's the citizens expressing their gratitude for receiving transcendental knowledge. And after this, and the Brahmins blessed him, you know, may you live a long life. And they glorified him also and how wonderful his character was. So after all this, then who comes there? to his um, his palace, the four Kumaras again, and he was so moved. He immediately welcomed them and in front of everyone, you know, he paid his obeisances to them and he offered them different prayers. And then he sat and heard from them and they instructed him. And he's so humble, not thinking, I know everything. I'm the king. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> But no, he was very eager to hear transcendental instructions how to improve his own devotional service. And that's the main thing. Although being a king is quite a busy occupation, but his priority was devotional service and his sadhana and his worship of the Brahmins. So he, he took that as a very important aspect of his life. So it's um, a great topic that Sarva gave me. And um, and in my own life, it has helped me a lot um, to be conscious of it, to be conscious. Because, uh, you know, a bee is attracted to honey and a fly. They like stool. That's like one of their favorite things to land on and enjoy. So we don't want to be a fly. We want to be a bee. And always looking. And of course the Lord's Transcendental Pastimes, they are for the bee like the devotees, full of nectarian honey, and um and no cessation, there's no end to it. And so I believe this is the time. Is that right, Winston? When I'm supposed to stop talking, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's um uh, you know we're pretty we're pretty flexible. Um, okay,
0: so it, does yeah. anyone have any comments or realizations, appreciations, or questions, is that okay?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's okay if people want to say something, if they would like to ask a question or, um, a real, or share one of their experiences or anything? Yes. Is that all right? They know how to unmute themselves? or yep. Okay. I
1: think we can just go for it.
0: Awesome. Anybody have anything you'd like to say? and. Let's see. I don't know who's here, but uh, I only see three people. Oh, now I see more. I see Shab, Dave, and I see a few more. Most people are, don't have their cameras on, but um, oh, I see now. I see more people. Yay! It's it's a whole lot easier if you if you see faces, <laughs> you know. But yeah, okay. Would anybody like to share anything? Or do you have an experience of um, being a bee and giving up being a fly? <laughs> or the ill effects of being a fly? You know, it just, it's just like, you know what it is? It's association. Like, you know how there's certain people, when you get around them, um, because they are fault finders, and then you kind of get sucked into it. Like, yeah, like, you know, they'll say something about someone and then you will add to it. Yeah, that's right. And look at this. And how could they be like that? And then, or you may be the one and you drag them into it. So being a bee means um, we always are um, seeking the honey and dispensing it as well, because that is contagious also if we glorify Krishna then the other will also glorify Krishna whom, whomever we are speaking with. So somebody yeah How Krishna. Hi
1: Krishna. Jair. Jair. Okay. Pleasure to meet you. I'm in uh, you. Washington State. I'm originally from Houston, so I know I'm familiar with everybody at the Houston ISCON. Oh, um, just wanted to expand on the idea of nitpicking at people's negative qualities versus looking for the positive qualities in people. Mm-hmm. Personally speaking, by God, I—I <laughs> I didn't. You can be one person, that one type of person, and not realize it yourself. And then uh-huh. you have an epiphany, and you look back, and you're like, "Wow, that—that that was me." Huh? Yeah. That was me looking for the negative qualities in people, and I realized that how. Big of a knot it was creating in my head over time. Right. And in your heart. No <laughs> brought me no good. All it did is it, 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 it just grinded more gears and it was an, an unnecessary thing
0: because <laughs> it's all right. in your head. Right. Yeah, but. you know how, um, especially leaders, like if somebody's a leader, they kind of are a sitting duck, you know to be torn apart and criticized like in all like even like being a temple president or <laughs> i want to speak of you know big time political leaders and as we know our political um chief executive officer <laughs> how he's really torn apart like you know um not not to get into it but but um you kind of it kind of comes with the territory Mm -hmm. and when you do something you put yourself out there you're Mm going to be um, subject to criticism and um but yeah you know and one really good thing is to put ourselves in their shoes whoever we may be criticizing put yourself in their shoes you know think well what would i do if i was in that position or how would i be Or perhaps they have had, you know, difficulties in their life, or they are having them at the present time, you know. So out of to be compassionate and and um, you know, not take things personally that we don't particularly like. We're not going to totally resonate with every single person, but we can at least keep a respectful even if we feel we have to be distant, like if somebody's very critical. So mm-hmm. we keep a respectful distance from them so that we don't get sucked into the same, same kind of like you say, nitpicking. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I I found that it I had to build a habit of it. As soon as these negative ideas of an individual come up, you have to immediately build a habit of associating that with okay, now time to flip the switch. Quickly look for a good quality in them. And, and then you know time, what else? You stop. you stop doing it, you know, intentionally, it just becomes a habit. You don't think about habits. You don't right. really think and, about
0: them. Right, and a really good thing to do is to glorify them to others. Like, you know, tell others. Like, say, isn't isn't she, like, such a great cook? Or, um, like, look how nicely they chant Joppa. And, you know, to, to go out of our way to actually verbally glorify them to others. And, you know, instead that's of spreading
1: rumors. Helpful. what instead of spreading rumors about an, an, of one another and just yeah. building hatred for one another and just not getting a long period.
0: Right. And why did you move to Washington? You work for Amazon or
1: Google? <laughs> Google? No, 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 no. I'm huh. in uh, Arlington, so I'm I'm not uh, that close to Seattle. I'm 45 okay. minutes, but not not close enough. Okay. Um, I moved because I got a job over a job offer over here, and in my line of work, I'm a structural in uh, not engineer structural draftsman. I got hired wow. as an estimator here, and detailing and estimating steel metal buildings, and so. Uh-huh. I've been living in this RV for the past almost four months now. Oh, wow. Wonderful experience. (laughs) Really? It is? Amazing. I have everything I need.
0: You don't miss miss your home in Houston?
1: Yes, of course I do. I miss everybody in Houston. Especially those in Wisconsin. Oh, I lost lost connection. Uh Uh-oh.